This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome. You're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. Now, my name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host for this hour, and I'm an author myself. I have eight fiction novels that are available. They're action thrillers, some you just might enjoy. You can find those on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all the online sites. And, of course, you can go to my personal website, which is www.dougdahlgren.com. Now, we call this show the prologue because that's exactly what it is. It is an introduction. And while those introduced here are mainly writers, we love to bring you interesting people with a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. Now, if you don't have a pen or a pencil handy, I want you to get one out and have it there because throughout this program, there's going to be information that you might just want to make note of, like this, for instance. If you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story that just needs to be told, I want you to reach out to me. And you can do that through email, and there's two different ways. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. Send me a message about yourself or your friend. I'd love to speak with you about having them on a future program. Now, our guest this hour has an actual resume that challenges his fictional characters in actions and excitement. He has personally flown over the Caribbean during the Cuban Missile Crisis, as well as being part of the Naval Airborne Early Warning Squadron Number 4, known as the world-famous Hurricane Hunters. They were also involved in Project Mercury, the space program's capsule recovery team. In civilian life, he was selected to the Scholastic Honor Society, Beta Gamma Sigma, while attending Georgia State University, from which he holds both bachelor's and master's degrees in economics. He served as president of the Gamma Corporation, a public relations firm that counseled companies like 3Com, DCA, IBM, and MicroStuff, and that's not uh, a mispronunciation, it's MicroStuff. He has had several professional articles published in the Atlanta Economic Review, and he won the International Association of Business Communications Award of Excellence for his 1976 documentary, Who Owns the Southern Company?, he has two novels in print, The Rough English Equivalent and today's book, The Quintessence of Quick. As a Navy veteran himself, I'm sure our guest will not mind a bit if we take a second to recognize a couple of very special listeners, groups of listeners that we're proud to have. First, of course, is our uniformed servicemen and women stationed around the world, working hard every day to protect each and every one of us. Freedom's not free, my friends bought and paid for daily by those brave folks, and we certainly want to remember them, and we thank them for their service. Also, we want to thank the first responders here at home. It's easy to overlook these folks. They're here in our own cities and towns where we live. That's those police, fire, and rescue personnel, the ones that rush to our aid when we need their help. Now, they don't know who you are. They don't know what color you are, what religion you profess. They just show up when you need them putting themselves in harm's way if necessary. So please, remember that when you see them out there on the streets, thank them. 
for all they do. Our book today is fiction. It's a character who drops in on history from time to time. With a wink and a nod to Douglas Adams in his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, our author explores what is, or what was, what could be. The book is The Quintessence of Quick, and this is your prologue. Twenty-three centuries have passed since Jack found the egg-shaped marble and the bird, visible only to himself. The passage of time has changed Jack. He's an immensely wealthy, bored, and now less than human in form. He can, in his new state of being, travel through space and time. Deciding to test his abilities, the story takes us to Jack's youth and reviews his exploits, his meeting Flex and Moses, and his interactions with history and historical figures. His new state of being allows all this in the blink of an eye. Quick, as one would say. In fact, it's the quintessence of quick. The author, Stan Hayes, is with us this morning. Hello, sir. How you doing? Hello, Doug. How you doing? Good, good, good. Good to have you with us. Uh, this is an... Be here. <laughs> well, we're proud of that. This is an unusual story at, at the minimum, uh, a ride through space and time, and the pro- protagonist in this story, Jack Mason, he's a little difficult to describe. Uh, I'm going to let you tackle that for us. Would you do that? Okay, I'll be happy to. Jack Mason uh, grew up in a town very like uh, the ones you and I did. Uh, I'm personally from Griffin, but I renamed and relocated the town to uh, take advantage of a north-south highway, uh, US-1. And uh, by virtue of uh, his being uh, assisted early on by a guy, excuse me, named Flex. He named him Flex because on his parents, it split. The father is uh, part of the Manhattan Project, and they were in Los Alamos, and uh, she decided she'd had quite enough of it for after about two months and uh, took the boy and uh, jumped on a bus, which was, in fact, a flexible bus, F-L-X-I-B-L-E. Uh, some of the uh, older guys probably have seen those around, but uh, that's why he named him, because... He actually disguised himself, old Jack, I'll call him, uh, as a marble and let uh, young Jack win him in a marble game. And so he uh, made himself known early in the trip, and by the time they get to the town of Biscue, B-I-S-Q-U-E, they're uh, bosom buddies and they understand uh, each other's role in time and space. So we're uh, going to follow them through uh, the the second novel, which is more of uh, Jack and his, his friend Rick as grown-ups and their uh, activities in uh, the armed forces. So it's, as, as you say, there are a lot of things, uh, Doug, that we need to... Uh, to, to maybe bear in mind and be affected by those things without uh, trying to, to run down each one of them because 
I would have written a 2,000-page book otherwise. Well, there's quite a lot of interaction uh, with historical figures and all. Um, what genre would you say that this novel is in? I don't think there is one, but I, I just call it uh, uh, fiction. And if you push me, I'll say friction because there's a lot of that going on, uh, human to human. A lot of historical fiction. Yeah, yeah. But what what I meant was a lot of friction in yeah. terms of bodily. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, is Jack Mason perhaps your alter ego? Of course, he is. Who in the hell ever wrote a first novel or a second novel without having uh, lived it himself before he got it down on paper? There's quite I a number. My. Uh... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there are a great deal of similarities between the description of your character and yourself. Uh, I mean, just a couple yep. of them, the pilot, Hurricane Hunter. Uh, would Stan Hayes like to travel into the future? You betcha. I'll be signing up as soon as somebody pays the bill. What do you think you'll find there? Well, it depends on, you know, what uh, has, has uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Pete, uh, a.k.a. Moses found as he grew through time over thousands of years, he first found that, uh, of course, he had money that uh, he didn't uh, make working for the Navy. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Jack had uh, received a, uh, a joint account uh, document from the Swiss bank for $3 million, which uh, I'm going to call him Nick this time. Uh, he had uh, gotten this money for, well, I'll have to take him out, out of the Luftwaffe for a minute and put him in the German Secret Service, which he acquired this money and uh, absconded with it put it in a Swiss bank. This was right before World War II was going to start, and the money was for a double assassination of Winston Churchill and FDR. Uh, there was a warrant officer there who was prepared to give his life to uh, wipe these people out so Hitler could <clears throat> do the quick two-step into uh, Great Britain and then the U.S. But... <clears throat> As, as we know, it didn't work out that way, and that money is still sitting in a Swiss bank when he finds himself leaving his wartime hideout in Baltimore and driving down. He, he plans to go to Miami, but his radiator gives out, and he has to stop in a little old biscuit where he meets not only Jack, but Jack's extremely attractive mother and decides to stay, at least temporarily. Now, the town of Biscuit is described as uh, down the road from Cairo, Georgia. Uh, which way down the road is it? Well, up up the road, I'd say. Okay. It, uh, I, used, I used a town right outside Augusta, Georgia, that uh, 
US-1 passes directly through that. And uh, so I figured, uh, you know, not to uh, make any of my uh, hometown friends too livid, I uh, I stole some characters, but uh, now they live far enough apart that uh, away from my hometown, Griffin, where nobody can uh, take umbrage. At least I hope so. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the travel that's involved here, I'm trying to even think how to ask this. The travel is not just across the country. This is across space and time for these primary characters. Not everybody, of course, involved, but uh, you've mentioned Moses and Jack and Flex. These are characters that uh, travel pretty much at will to anywhere and any time that they need to go to. Uh, Is that hard to keep up with? I don't think so. What I try to do is is get as much of the uh, science fiction aspect out of it or, or keeping away from it so we don't lose the track of a story, but it's easy enough to imagine that someone who, who lives for thousands of years may run across uh, technological advances uh, every so often. And the last one that uh, that <clears throat> excuse me, that Moses now called Pete another story, now called Pete, is uh, just ready to uh, sit back and see what he can do in terms of satisfying his own curiosity about history. So the first okay. thing he does is he heads back to uh, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Roman times at which point uh, Jesus was uh, getting ready well, we to wanna, be hung up. We want to we get into all of those details, but right now we're up against a break. Folks, you're listening to the prologue here on America's Web Radio. We're talking with Stan Hayes about his book, The Quintessence of Quick, and we'll be back after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. 
This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. We're here on the prologue this morning. We've got a special guest today, Mr. Stan Hayes. He brings us his book, The Quintessence of Quick. Now, this is number two in a series, a planned series. It started out a number of years ago with the novel The Rough English Equivalent. And Stan was telling us that this this novel is somewhat science fiction, somewhat historical, and all kinds of things that are happening and people that are interacting with folks from history and everywhere else. Uh, Stan, you were going into some of it before we went on the break. Your research for this book involves all kinds of figures from all times and places. How in the world did you research this? How did you pull all this together? And and better yet, how did you decide who you were going to put emphasis on from all the characters in history and who you wouldn't? Well, I, I cast back uh, over my own reading experiences and my own real-life experiences to uh, to bring these people into the foreground. And uh, one of the ones that uh, I'm proudest of is the execution of uh, Jack's connection with none other than Claire Booth Luce, wife of Henry Luce and congressperson and almost the ambassador to Brazil. But uh, that appointment was pulled by FDR because he finally got a, a, a handle on her amorous activities which are legion and, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, they are uh, well documented, so I don't feel like, uh, you know, anybody's coming to sue me right away. Well, you were talking but, uh, about, <clears throat> you were talking about a specific journey uh, when we went to break. Did you want to pick back up on that? That was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that was Jack's first real experience once he became a, uh, a, a non-bodily uh, uh, quantity. And, you know, I think we're all curious about that. I, w- I would love to have done that myself. Uh, just to go back and jerk Jesus away from the Romans and put him in uh, cold storage or uh, let him get uh, acquainted with what uh, the future is like. And, uh, of course, he falls in love, Jesus does, with Linda, as do most of the characters at one point in time. She is uh, an incredible woman, and uh, <laughs> the the idea of, of their interplay, Jesus and, and uh, Linda, is one of the things that I'll be covering in the next book. Well, now, what kind of comments have you already received on that? I mean, there's a lot of historical folks you can uh, go to, uh, but that's kind of a sensitive area, isn't it? Oh, it is, it is. I have a neighbor who was an aide-de-camp to a general who carried on with Ms. Luce. And uh, so I got uh, a lot of firsthand experience there, but uh, there is, uh, I should say there are, a couple of uh, voluminous biographies of this good lady. And uh, she wanted to, I think, meet the world like a man would. Well, I was kind of going more toward. I was asking more about uh, bringing Jesus Christ into this. That uh, what kind of comments yeah. have you gotten on that? 
Well, um, mostly, uh, well, I, I divide it between uh, guffaws and smirks. Okay. So nobody's going to tell you you're full of it directly to your face, or very few people will. And uh, so I uh, think that I, when when I look at the Amazon reviews, most most people recognize what I'm doing, which is playing fast and loose with uh, a fictional character and a real character. Right. All of the characters in these stories are are the primary characters are larger than life. Pete, or AKA Indeed. Moses, for instance, is he modeled after anyone particular? No, I had to uh, build up uh, Moses Kobielski out of whole cloth because I needed somebody to bring some money in to get Jack's life going. And I also needed someone who had basic experiences in, in the military at that time. And <clears throat> Moses was, at first, the first thing he did once he uh, stopped boxing in Golden Gloves in New York was to join the Navy. So he was uh, an enlisted man in the Navy. Uh, actually, uh, they called them ADs, aviation mechanics, and uh, got in trouble with another woman, <laughs> and got a BCD, bad conduct discharge, out of the Navy, and was so really incensed about that that he went back to his own people, who are German, and went to work for uh, a tailor who's his uh, uncle twice removed, but who was the supplier of uniforms to many of the Nazi. pre-World War II German flight schools in Russia, which not too many people know about. No. It's a, uh, a thing that they, they did. Obviously, uh, the uh, Versailles Treaty was very punitive in many ways to, to the German people. But the one thing that uh, you can count on for sure is the the ingenuity of the German people in creating a solution. And the solution to the military was, first of all, to get air power started by virtue of new flight uh, training or new flight training students and uh, put them together with the uh, old World War I experience of people like Hermann Goering, who uh, obviously was the... Uh, the big man in World War II as far as the Luftwaffe went. Okay. Um, the character of Moses obviously has been through all of this. He, he's seeking out Jack to kind of be a, uh, a protege. Is that correct? Well, actually, uh, it turns out to be that way, but uh, let's call him Old Jack is looking to get young Jack together, he arranged for this exploding radiator because Moses was by no means, you know, clairvoyant or all-powerful or all-knowledgeable or anything else until he meets Jack. Okay. And, and old Jack was uh, the, the creator of that uh, opportunity and 
uh, hopeful that uh, Jack would, I'm sorry, that Moses would uh, end up marrying his mother, who refused to get a divorce from uh, her first husband, uh, and that obviously was not going to work, so that led uh, Moses to look around for, for other opportunities. Now, I can picture you at your typewriter or your word processor, whatever you used, with just notes everywhere, uh, trying to keep up oh, with the continuity of this story. <laughs> how, did you, how did you keep I've up got, with yourself? Well, uh, through the, uh, the judicious use of electronics, you know, I've, I've got probably, oh, 500 pages of character work. Right. Just who this person is and what they do and how they interface time-wise with everybody else. Uh, I have, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little hard on small-town religion because uh, having survived it, <laughs> I saw a lot of this uh, take place. But, uh, you know, it's okay to have the, the sheriff making uh, love to, to young girls, you know, if they're not too young. And that's one of the, the the many side stories I have that accompanies this, and and I hope brings it uh, a little bit uh, more uh, solidity in the fact that uh, these are real people having a real life, not just acting out a drama. There you go, human frailties and and the way people can treat one another. That's that's always makes for interesting narrative. Uh, the, the character Absolutely. Flex, uh, Flex is a, is a really interesting character. Uh, he starts out as a marble, uh, but he there's right. no coincidence that he's found his way to Jack. Uh, he intended that, and he becomes this bird-like figure that only Jack can see. How did how did you? Uh, I, I know where the name came from. You described that with the Flex bus, but just the idea of right. his character. How did that come to you? Well, one of the things that I enjoy doing is speculate about the far future and uh, when the uh, the opportunity might arise that humanity can become uh, less corporeal and uh, much more capable by virtue of that. Uh, and nobody knows, honestly, how that's going to happen, but I am. It's an article of faith with me and many others that... Things like this will happen, but when? Is it going to be a thousand years, two thousand years? Uh, maybe less than either one. Okay. Now, there's there's uh, reference and mention of things like Star Trek in here, and the and the transporters, and uh, and of course Douglas Adams and his ideas of of getting around. What do you see as the mode of transportation uh, for an entity like Jack? Well, I see the, uh, the the human conscious, uh, better said, the human consciousness, uh, not being required to be uh, contained by a uh, what we now think of as the human body. Uh, <clears throat> if, in fact, these people, and there are damn few of them, uh, him, I'm sorry, uh, Jack being one of the first, because of uh, being able to have acquired a great deal of, of money and power 
in terms of that three million dollar liftoff fee, uh, was able to uh, sort of jam himself into the first of the line the same way that people are jamming themselves into uh, rockets potentially to go into space in a very ham-fisted way. It just improves and improves on improvement as things go. And uh, I I thought that I would uh, stay away from any technical manuals because nobody really honestly understands that it will work or that it can work. Okay. What we're talking about is consciousness unleashed. There you go. Folks, we're talking with Stan Hayes, and we've been discussing time travel and uh, historical uh, interference, more or less. His his interesting novel, The Quintessence of Quick, is a follow-up to the first one, The Rough English Equivalent, and we're going to be back with Stan and learn more about these books in just a few minutes. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back. We're here this morning with Stan Hayes. Stan's been talking to us about the quintessence of quick. And, you know, quintessence, uh, Mr. Hayes, that's a, that's a fun word. Um, being word people ourselves here, we write and try to express thought to different folks, but that's a word I don't hardly use, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most people don't. Uh, talk to me a bit about it. What made you think about using quintessence? Well, having uh, in just in my own personal reading, uh, read a book called simply Quintessence by a uh, professor, a physics professor by the name of Krauss, Lawrence Krauss, and uh, he takes this as a given that man will become disembodied at some point because the capability will be there. But he's still writing 
on the basis of his own article of faith and some of the rest of us. But it's a, uh, a very challenging thing to, to even try to get your arms around what can happen there. So well, I'm the, trying to... Uh, yeah, the definition, as I see it, is that a quintessence, of course, is the most perfect example of anything. Uh, a class or a structure or a quality, uh, but quintessence is perfection. And so that's something we strive for, but we just quite never get there, you know. But that's an interesting word. Yeah. It, it's really kind of neat. Now, the characters that we've been talking about that, that travel through both of these books, and we understand there's a third one coming, but Moses and Jack are very, very accomplished people on their own right. They've Honor Society inductees, they're pilots, hurricane hunter pilots. They're successful in business and investing. Uh, one owned a charter jet service. Uh, he's, they're world and galaxy travelers, to say the least. Uh, it just goes on and on. Uh, while the original story, book one, predates the ad campaign for Dosaki's beer, uh, by over four years, do you think maybe they co-opted your characters for the most interesting man in the world? I'd like to think they were uh, somewhat affected, but, you know, I, I, I have no way of nailing that down unless one of your listeners happens to know something that uh, you and I don't. No, it's just it just came to me, and now now when I think of Moses particularly, I've got this image of what he, <laughs> what he had to look like. And uh, so, anyway, fair or not, that, that's an interesting uh, thought. That they uh, here's the in, most interesting man in the world, and he's in a book that came out four years ahead of that ad campaign. Listen, let's change gears. We're we're, we're already halfway through our okay. hour. Let's let's change gears and talk about Stan Hayes for a little bit. You already told us All that right. your background is from Griffin, Georgia, which is not exactly Cairo. It's not exactly Augusta. In fact, it's southern. Uh, metro Atlanta area. Uh, did you have a large family? No, no. I'm a uh, single child. Only child. Okay. All right. Uh, either of your parents, are they writers or interested in literature and books? No, no, not really as, as producers of, of anything. They were great consumers. And I, I got... Uh, my first encyclopedia when I was three, and uh, they just, uh, you know, neither one of them ever went to college, and they they, they resent the hell out of it, I know, uh, I did, and uh, it's just a matter now of uh, looking back and trying to imagine what what I would have been able to do without that little bit of a, a literary head start. Now, an encyclopedia, that, that, that explains a lot of the words <laughs> that you used. But what what did you read for fun? Were those, was there a genre or were there a favorite author that you enjoyed reading in your youth? Well, I really have enjoyed more uh, espionage and uh, skullduggery than anything else, even though I didn't start reading it until <clears throat> excuse me, I... Uh, started in at Georgia State and ran across uh, John Le Carre and in his wonderful series of books. He's not uh, happy with the way the uh, British Secret Service ended up treating him, but uh, by the same token, 
he uh, he gives us a lot of inside uh, skinny, so to speak, that uh, we otherwise might not have gotten from an otherwise, uh, you know, a, a, a booster, shall I say, as opposed to a denigrator. Yeah. Lacaray was good. Um, my personal uh, boost was uh, Frederick Forsythe. Uh, oh, yeah. That uh, interesting stuff. Now, you, you studied economics later. I but did. while you while you were I in did. high school, did you did you enjoy English and literature classes, or was that just something you had? I, okay, I had a uh, a wonderful English teacher who taught two sections of English. <clears throat> pardon me, by the name of well, let's just call her Miss Julia. But uh, she ended up uh, being the person who named the Falcons. She won the oh. contest of naming the Falcon. So that was, uh, she was probably, uh, you know, typical of that time. Many, many teachers uh, are, are single forever. And uh, she was one of those. But uh, she was just, she, she sparked an interest in me of, uh, of conversation he tried to get me in a couple of plays, and I would have nothing to do with that. But uh, she was a, a marvelous influence, and uh, I credit her for that uh, to this day. Now, did she uh, spark your interest in being a writer, or when when did you think that you might be a writer? Mm, quite a ways down the road, honestly, and I wish that that had not been the case, but uh, I... Uh, read so much and saw so much of other people's work that I said to myself, boy, you can do that. But uh, the, <laughs> the, the the test case was novel number one, which is the rough English equivalent. By the way, the, the name of, or rather the title, refers to a description of a Shondell, which is an aircraft maneuver, mostly for single engines, but uh, it's it's a climbing 180 degree turn, and I have Moses being told by his instructor, which is a, another story indeed, that what what you want to do with a with a Shondell is in fact simply a climbing 180 degree turn. Okay, so that's the rough English equivalent, right? Okay, all right. Now, speak, speaking of, of pilots and such, you were in the military. Was that before or after you attended college? That was both. I, both? Uh, okay. I think I had, I could, could brandish about two years' worth of, uh, of college credits. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, went down to, to see my friendly uh, naval aviation recruiter, who at that time was, or the Navy at that time, was taking in people without degrees, putting them through flight training, and if they completed flight, flight training successfully, they got a commission at that point in time, which is what happened with me. All I became right. an ensign uh, a little little older than, than some of my uh, confreres who had stuck around and gotten their degrees first, but... <laughs> Excuse me. Coming back to uh, school, 
was, uh, I think, the the thing that uh, lit a light on, under me because I uh, just couldn't quite see uh, ending life without uh, seeing if I could do that. All right. Now, college was actually at Georgia State here in Atlanta, uh, and you received both yep. your bachelor's and the master's degrees from that institution. Is that right? <laughs> Did. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yeah, I had, <clears throat> I had uh, wonderful instructors at that time. You know, we'd have a lot of people coming for the summer quarter from the University of Georgia, and they would bitch and moan because uh, the the survival capability of Georgia State as a, uh, a, a major city institution and what I mean is to, to to function as a campus within a major city is is always a challenge I mean uh, up north they've, they've got that pretty well down as in Columbia or many many others but it was not a thing that uh, I wanted to, uh, to to do in a any kind of a flashy way or anything I just tried to imagine, you know, given the Navy part and what uh, what happened with, with me after and getting back to school just got me back into a, a studious mode as opposed to a liquor-drinking-women-chasing mood, which was a lot of what you see in, in my books. It was an interesting and, and formative experience for me. Well, you must have taken it quite seriously to be inducted into the Beta Gamma Sigma. That's that's quite a prestigious honor society. Tell us about that. Uh, what was your experiences there? Well, you know, I I really never saw anything. Uh, you know, they they equate it, or people who are in the organization one way or another equate it to Phi Beta Kappa, but. Uh, it was it was visited on me. I think you know I was at a, at Georgia State at the time when it was still being formulated, and uh, so I think what they did was just to go down the grade point list and see how many conflicts people who were absolutely brilliant, and they finally got around to me, which meant that uh, I, I I don't even remember what what a grade point average was, but it was not that far uh, above a 3.5. Wow. Well, you did quite well. Two books out already, working on a third. Tell the folks out there where they can go online to learn more about Stan Hayes and where they could order your books. I would suggest the first thing to do would be to go to Amazon because that's where the, the buying can take place. But uh, I want to cordially invite everyone to my website, which is www.stanhayes.com, and there you'll see uh, a little bit more background in terms of putting the the works, <clears throat> sorry, putting the works in perspective with uh, with other things that uh, that All right. treat that same point in time. 
There we go. That's www.stanhayes.com. We're here with Stan Hayes on the prologue, and we're going to be back with more after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're here again on the prologue. My name's Doug Dahlgren. We're glad to have you with us this morning. We're listening with Stan Hayes. He's been telling us about his books. There's two in the series that are out, The Rough English Equivalent, and we've been concentrating on book two, which is The Quintessence of Quick. Uh, understand there's a third book that's it's in route or in the pipeline, uh, Stan. Would you tell us, uh, have you got a title? You got a title? For yeah, the, the title. I worked through, uh, as, as I think we all do, a couple of uh, or more working titles, but I've settled down on Time to Climb. Time to Climb, okay. Now, is that going to wrap it up, or is that just book three? I think I want to do some other things with with Jack's family earlier on, you know, in in terms of uh, people that uh, had absolutely nothing to do with who Jack is and what he is except for the bloodline. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Union Army came down and uh, sort of gave... uh, Biscu and, and the coast in that area of a free shot. They, they didn't go in and tear anything up. They were headed to Savannah. So a lot of the stuff in Biscu is is pristine from, from that uh, era. And uh, surprisingly enough, a, a few people 
uh, much senior to me, uh, still remember a lot of how that was. Okay. I want to continue talking about you because somebody that can come up with a story like this has got to have an interesting background. Your military and civilian careers were, uh, they were adventures on their own. Uh, you were a public information officer in the Navy, uh, and right. you also flew with that squadron. Is that right? Yes, indeed, I did. I was a navigator. Okay. And you did more than just chase after hurricanes, particularly back in 1962. Tell us a little bit about well, what indeed. happened. Well, the uh, Mercury Project was uh, just uh, starting to... to gained some some momentum and uh we were my my squadron flying the uh, radar equipped constellations had the, the 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 endurance sufficient to fly a recovery mission in the area that if everything went well the capsule would not come down there but they arranged that situation around the world to have radar coverage of every bit, I'm sorry, every bit of each flight. So there would be radar on those people whenever they happened to come down, if they hadn't to come down anywhere other than the, uh, the, the number one target. So we, uh, we had an occasion to, to meet some of the uh, astronauts, and uh, <clears throat> I think... There are, are probably people, again, senior to me, who met every damn one of them. And it was a, a sad thing to, to me today to uh, understand that not only uh, did we lose an astronaut of the original seven, he was the last one alive. Speaking of John Glenn, uh, not to date the show, because yes. we hope people will be listening uh, years from now, but... This uh, happens to be a point in time where, where we just as a nation lost a tremendous hero, and, and that's a fact. So, uh, Indeed, indeed. Not only with the Mercury Space Program that you were a part of as far as uh, capsule recovery, uh, you guys got to fly over uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. What was that like? Oh, well, it was, uh, in, in retrospect, a lot more fri frightening than it was in progress. Sorry, in practice. Um, but we were uh, co-opted. The, the idea was to have, once the, the Russians had stopped all the shipping and dropped anchor, waiting to hear from Khrushchev what they should be doing next, because they had missiles on, on the, the visible on the decks of these ships because they were so big. They couldn't be stowed on, under uh, under one of the uh, sub decks. So, flying over these things, you could just visualize what those things would look look like once they were launched from uh, the north coast of Cuba into uh, well into the U.S. But what we did were, <clears throat> was to keep an eye on these people because they, they never showed above decks during the day. We just fly over these things at, at a low altitude, enough low enough to where we would actually pull up to clear the superstructure. 
and then oh come back down. And I think I said to myself, somebody's going to get trigger happy, but they never did. Wow. Um, your life uh, itself was enough to inspire the characters that you write about. Uh, the Quintessence of Quick is the second book in the planned series, and uh, should people actually, if they're, if they're just now hearing about you and just now hearing about these books, do you suggest that they go back and, and get the rough English equivalent first, or does that really matter? Well, I think they stand, both uh, books stand alone to uh, a great degree, but I would, uh, as you suggest, I would say let's, let's get started with the first one and uh, go from there. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and then you said the third that you are working on right now, Time to Climb. When do you expect to have that out? I'm thinking mid-17. Okay. All right. So we got about six months to wait on that one. That sounds good. Now, yes, let's talk about Stan Hayes as a writer. Uh, we've got a lot of other writers that, that listen to the show as well as the readers uh, when you write, do you write from an outline? Uh, are you a very strict outline follower, or are you what they call a pantser? <laughs> That's a good term for it. Uh, I like to think that I have a, a little bit of, of direction, but not so much as to where if, if I get going in, in a situation and it takes a turn that I hadn't truly planned, I like to be able to uh, pursue that if possible. So the uh, the simple answer is no real outline, but uh, a lot of good thoughts and uh, congratulations to the people who can work that way. Well, you know where you're headed, but uh, like most of us, your characters will sometimes develop and take you off in a direction that maybe you didn't think of. Uh, Certainly my experience. A lot like herding cats at times. <laughs> well, now, as a three-cat owner, I appreciate that. There you go. Now, is there a regiment when you're writing that you that you like to follow? Do you have a, a set time of day or, or maybe a number of hours that you put in or a number of words? Uh, what it, What is your schedule like? I like to think about uh, getting the best out of the day, which for me is early in the morning. And so I would work uh, typically never past lunch, but get started somewhere when I wake up 6, 7 o'clock in the morning and just stay inside that room with nobody admitted until the uh, lunch break. Okay. Do you uh, have any particular advice that you'd like to offer to new writers? Don't be discouraged because you're going to have a lot of stuff come back to you. And, uh, you know, I would, would love to have uh, had the, uh, the advantage of a uh, large publisher and many, many thousands of uh, both of these books out. But let me uh, assure you that that is, is a secondary goal. Just knowing you can do it is the main thing. Oh, absolutely. And if you fail to... Yep. Just yeah, come that, back and give it another. There you go. Now, editing is an important aspect of, of 
publishing. Um, do you have certain people that you use for editors? I have a dear friend who reads everything I write and uh, has, has caught me in a couple of real <laughs> strange <laughs> they can, pieces. They well, can certainly they have a, a different perspective. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody will. And, and uh, every every different format that you come up with, they'll find something new. Listen, we're getting close to the end of our time here this morning. Can you think of anything, Mr. Stan Hayes, can you think of anything that we've left out that you really need to bring forward today? I think that it's been a wonderful opportunity for me to uh, remind myself of what got me started in the first place and to uh, turn back to uh, time to climb with a vengeance and get it out on time. There you go. Well, Stan, this has indeed been a pleasure. It has been fun to get to talk to you, uh, to pick your brain about uh, the quintessence of quick and the Rush English equivalent. We wish you all the luck in the world with a time to climb and hope you'll come back when you've got that one ready, okay? Thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate it very much. All right, sir. Listeners, the ball's in your court now. I want you to look up Stan Hayes on Amazon. Both of the original books are there, and start enjoying those, and we'll be looking for the third one middle of next year. And I want you to tell all your friends about the show. They can go to America's Web Radio homepage and see how to get to the archive section for the prologue. Enjoy this and all the other programs at your pleasure on podcast version. So that's it for this hour. I want to again thank Mr. Stan Hayes for coming and bringing us his work. For myself, I am Doug Dahlgren. And for my guest, I want to say, please be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Stan's, maybe you'll pick one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.